0: We are so grateful that you all chose to spend part of your Christmas Eve here with us at Calvary Chapel, South Bay. Um, We truly believe that the Lord has something special for us tonight. Before we get started and dig into the Word, I want to give you a couple of things. Towards the end of this service, uh, we are going to share really a, a very special time where we really experience what it was like for the gospel to go from Jesus, the light of the world, to the disciples. I'm gonna have you stand during that time. And if you look around the sanctuary, there is literally no room in the inn. And the reason I point that out to you is you're standing very next and very close to someone else's hair and their clothing. And they're children whom they value very highly. And so we want to be especially careful um, with our candles. And so I'm going to have you stand before we light them. And as we do that, I would remind you, try and keep your candles upright, that if you lean forward, that's someone's clothing. Next to you is someone's arm. <laughs> Next to you on the other side is someone else's arm. Probably somebody else's hair, so... Um, please do be careful. These are real candles, real fire, and we can really uh, cause a a pretty major conflagration, so let's avoid that if we can. I want to thank you personally just for the blessing it is for myself and Connie to be able to spend these last few days of 2019 with you, and as we celebrate tonight, We're going to continue our theme, of Christmas in Bethlehem. And so if you have your Bibles, if you'd take them out and turn to the little tiny prophet Micah. We'll pick up in chapter 5, the first five verses there. The prophet Micah writes just directly before God stops speaking to the world. Uh, Before that time that we call the intertestamental period when the Lord had no prophet on the earth. The Old Testament revelation was given. It was complete and, and Micah writes during this pivotal time just before God really goes silent for 400 years. And here in this book, interestingly enough, we find this prophecy that is then referenced as the motivating factor for the Magi as they seek out the Christ child in Bethlehem. It is this passage written some five to 600 years before Jesus was born. This is another one of those pieces of the messianic puzzle that gets assembled in the life of Christ. And it brings us to this unique and wonderful place where we see the Prince of Peace uh, described before he's announced to the world in flesh and blood. And so would you join me? We'll pray. And we're going to pick up here the first five verses of Micah chapter five. Lord, we have come tonight as your children to sit down in your living room. Lord, your house to abide with you, to be under the shadow of your mighty wings, and we pray tonight that your church would be lifted into the heavens with the angels, that we would understand and know the majesty of your incarnation. And so, Father, we ask you speak to us. Lord, reveal yourself to us by your spirit tonight, and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. The first Christmas Eve in the little town of Bethlehem. Verse one, Micah five, now gather yourself in troops, O daughter of troops, and during that time of conquest when the Jewish people came into the land that was promised to them by covenant through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they came into a land that was inhabited by the Canaanites. And as they traveled into the land, every step of the way was battle. They, they had learned to gather together in troops. They had spent their first 600 years of history in the land, fighting for the land itself. They had raised generation after generation after generation that had not known Peace limited times, periodically, of peace. It was a world much like our world tonight. Limited peace exists in our world. Probably some of you saw the news articles that perhaps North Korea is planning on sending us a a Christmas greeting. I'm not one to speculate what that means, but I doubt it's good. The Middle East has been a powder keg for decades. Ever since Israel came back into the land, they have fought for their own survival. That area of the world is in turmoil. If you travel to India, the world's most densely populated piece of real estate, a vast majority of its citizens live in some form of turmoil, tribal hunger. So, this passage. As Micah writes, one of the final things that are going to be said before God goes silent is you're going to gather together in groups. You're going to have community. That's our buzzword, isn't it? You're going to get together in a sense of community. For he has laid siege, to siege against us, it will strike the judge of Israel with the rod and the cheek. That was the condition. And I think it's so beautiful for us, albeit in a strange way, but these truths are timeless. They still speak to us tonight as to the reason as why Messiah came, why the Prince of Peace came into this world, why Emmanuel the one that Isaiah prophesied of in chapter seven, why Isaiah said what he said. A virgin would give birth to a son, and you shall call his name Emmanuel, God with us. And he shifts gears, but you, O Bethlehem, the house of bread. Interesting that Jesus, one of his I am statements was, I am the bread of life. Bethlehem, the house of bread, would be his birthplace. Of Epaphra, though you are little among the thousands of Judah. At this time, the Assyrians had come and taken the 10 northern tribes captive. Judah and Benjamin together in the south remained. Israel had been reduced down to really just Judah. The Levites interspersed with no land amongst the people. Thousands had gone into captivity from the Babylonians, They had been oppressed by the Greeks. Antiochus Epiphanes had come and the Maccabees would revolt eventually. It was a time of turmoil and our attention is turned to the house of bread and in a manger, a couple from Nazareth Though you were little among the thousands of Judah, we, we think of our cities in the context of places like where we live in the greater Los Angeles area. Planted here in Gardena. Right next door to Torrance and Carson and Compton and Englewood, Harbor City and and Lomita, Redondo Beach. But towns then were tiny affairs, few hundred people. There were no stores, no malls, no services of any kind, perhaps a community well. And it says of Bethlehem, you are little in comparison to the little communities in Judah. In other words, you're a little, little one. A tiny, insignificant spot, roughly eight miles south of Jerusalem, where stood at that time the temple of the living God. Yet out of you shall come forth to me. God would produce from Bethlehem the house of bread, the one that would be born of God. The very thing that the prophet Isaiah said would happen. He said there would be a child who would be born and a son who would be given. The giving was done by God. The bearing was done by Mary. Yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel. As you read Isaiah 9, 6, towards the end of that verse, it tells us exactly over whose kingdom Jesus will ultimately reign. And on whose throne he will ultimately sit. The throne of David. David also came from the house of bread. Jesus was the answer. He was the answer to the Jewish people's cry for Messiah. The reason for the empty place setting at Passover. The Elijah who is to come. The answer that was cried out for by the prophets. Who will deliver us? The one who will be the Semach. The branch. Grafted we are to that one branch of the vine. whose goings forth are from of old, from everlasting. It was there in Bethlehem, the house of bread, that the one who is the Alpha and the Omega, the great I Am, the one who was the Lamb slain before the foundation of the world were laid. It clearly predicts exactly who he is. Jesus was Messiah from eternity. We got to meet him when he came to a manger. And therefore he shall give them up. This is written again to Judah. It's the remnant, it's the remaining portion of the totality of Israel. Until that time that she who is in labor is given birth. Have you ever wondered why Jesus said that those days of tribulation would be as a woman who travails with child? Because there's a day coming when the Apostle Paul's writing to the church is going to come to fruition and that all Israel will be saved. Mourn the one whom they pierced, as Zechariah declared. They're gonna see the king of kings. They're gonna see the Lord of lords. They're gonna recognize exactly who Jesus is. And then the remnant of his brethren shall return to the children of Israel. Israel. For he shall stand and feed his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord is God. And they shall abide, they'll dwell. Do you remember what the tent of the meeting was called? That the children of Israel traveled around with in the wilderness for 40 years? It was called the tabernacle. The same word, they shall tabernacle. For now he shall be great to the ends of the earth. And verse five. How many of you either received a Christmas card or sent one that had on the title of one of the names of Jesus? the Prince of Peace. Comes from Isaiah 9, 6. Prince of Peace, Everlasting Father. But that same one is also Mighty God. He's El Shaddai. He is Wonderful. And he is Counselor. The Father of Eternity. And this one shall be peace. Not just bring peace. He is peace. That's how he can be the prince of peace, because he is peace. He is shalom. Jesus is the prince of peace born in the little tiny town of Bethlehem. God selected that town. There in Matthew 2, this was the driving force behind the Magi as they came looking for the king that was born. It's found in the story of Ruth and Naomi as they come to Bethlehem where Boaz would take on the role of the kinsman, redeemer, the Goel. It was there Ruth, the ancestress of Messiah would come and understand the fullness of that truth. It was, of course, the hometown of the great King David. There was no disputing that. When you read the genealogies found in Luke's gospel, Matthew's gospel, for he was of the house and of the lineage of David, It was there the great King David. But who was David? Your Bible says he was the stump of the root of Jesse. He was the ruddy one. He was the little one. He was the lunch boy for the brothers. That's why the prophet Isaiah said, What is there of him that is to be desired? Speaking of Messiah. He came to the little town of Bethlehem, a place of insignificance, not a place of royalty. Sometimes when we think of the Lord and we should also think of his majesty, we should remind ourselves of his holiness. We we must do that. But this little town is a town that we could say is one of the most insignificant places as far as mankind is concerned. But to it came the one that you would expect that of because he was the humble high priest of heaven. He didn't come in royal majesty or splendor and he didn't come to Jerusalem in royal majesty or splendor. He came on the foal of a donkey, amen? That same king had consistency throughout his time here on this earth and yet at the same time this passage says he was eternal god notice what it says his goings out and coming in or his goings forth and out are from old until eternity they're they're from the ancient of days And Micah kind of reminds us, and maybe you need a reminder tonight. God's never in a hurry. God doesn't fret like we do. He doesn't sit in heaven and wring his hands and wonder how the mortgage is going to get paid. We do that. But he's quite settled in who he is. And his ways are above our ways, and we cannot know them. And so maybe tonight you're going through a time, you're bearing some pain. But the humble high priest of heaven knows your pain. He knows your sorrow. He, he knows the difficulty that you're experiencing in life. He knows your every need before you do. That's who Jesus is. And tonight we need to remember that as we celebrate the birth of our king, our savior, our Lord. And by the way, our returning king one day, because he is coming again. The divine conqueror the first time came as a lowly baby to a wooden manger and some straw wrapped in swaddling cloths, just bandages, basically, so that every person in this room could identify with them. I don't know how you are, but sometimes I think about the, the majesty of heaven, and I try and picture what it's gonna look like. And then I remind myself that I'll never be able to figure that out But you know, I can identify with a babe in a manger. And I can identify with my savior who was a carpenter from Nazareth. I can identify with the scars on his hands. I can identify that he earned a living by the sweat of his brow. I can identify with the fact he walked wherever he went. Here in L.A., we might as well walk wherever we go, right? It's faster. But Jesus wasn't born in Jerusalem. And he wasn't born in Washington, D.C. He wasn't born in Shanghai or Tokyo. He wasn't born in Sao Paulo, Brazil. He wasn't born in Mexico City. He wasn't born in a metropolis. He was born in a barn. Every person in here, from the greatest of us to the least, can identify with a king willing to be born in a barn. We need some more kings on our earth like that, don't we? And so the wise men came because of this prophecy looking for Jesus. His birth announcement's found here in verse two. But you, O Bethlehem, Epaphrah, though you're a little among the thousands of Judah out of you, yet shall come forth unto me, the one ruler in Israel, whose goings forth are from old and from everlasting. That's the birth announcement of Jesus. He's going to be born in Bethlehem. You know, isn't it weird? We have all these, these gender reveal parties and those kind of things now, right? You know, it's like people throw some massive display and they get balloons and all those kind of things. Jesus topped that. He had angels and stars. Amen. Amen. but he himself was humble and lowly. And yet he's this glorious ruler. God bestowed him with the glory of heaven. He's gonna one day rule over the, the house of the dominion of David, the king. One of the reasons that Messiah was rejected by the Jewish people when he came the first time is quite simple, They were expecting a king, a real king, a king that would deal with Rome, a king that would take care of the oppressors. But they were looking for the wrong kind of king. They'd already been told what he would be like because Isaiah told them. They were told about their king being a suffering servant. a king by whom his stripes we would be healed and the chastisement for our peace would be put upon him. God raised up Jesus from a shepherd's town, a shepherd of lambs that would one day himself. You ever wondered why Jesus chose the title for himself? I am the good shepherd. And in case you missed it, he went on to say, I am the door of the sheep. It's the only thing he repeated twice in his I am statements. Just so you got it, he's a shepherd of sheep. He loves sheep. Now you know why he called us sheep. Amen? Because shepherds love sheep. It's what they do. Your king came to a manger and proved to you who he was by taking care of sheep. Jesus stepped out of eternity and into our history. I I don't know if you've ever pondered that or not. Think about what it would be like for Jesus the Lord of glory, remember who he is, Jesus, the Lord of glory, to step out of heaven and into that. To go from angels praising to cattle lowing. From the majesty of heaven to the dank, dusty stable. He was the king. And yet he did that for us. He became one of us. It's what his name, Emmanuel, means. God with us. Sometimes I think on these things and, you know, I I look at who Jesus is in my life And it almost makes me cry. It's like, Lord, you did that for me? You left heaven for me? To see, we try and do everything we can to escape here, don't we? We're constantly trying to think of ways to get out of our reality And Jesus came into our reality. What we're trying to escape, he came into. And the reason he came into it is to make a way of escape out of it. That's why Isaiah said, by his stripes we are healed. Because our sins taken care of, the debt, the weight of it, was placed on him. That, that babe in a manger would die for my sins. He would spend 32 and a half years on this earth living a perfect life so that one day I could have heaven. Heaven. What he left behind, he freely gives me as a gift by his grace. It's mind-boggling to me. It was there in the manger in Bethlehem that the light of the world first shined. And Jesus, as he's speaking to the disciples in what we call the Sermon on the Mount, as this crowd gathers in their on the northern shore of the Sea of Galilee just above the lake gathered in a small canyon on a hill and as Jesus is speaking to them he speaks a truth into their light that we're going to be able to demonstrate tonight because he said to them you are the light of the world you are Now, it's true that John's gospel also records that Jesus in one of his I am statements said, I am the light of the world. But when he left, guess where he left the light? In you. That's why he said, a city on a hill cannot be hidden, neither do people light a lamp and put it, I I wouldn't light a lamp and stick it underneath this bowl and turn it over so when no one can see it, it would be purposeless and pointless. But instead, they lift it up on a stand so that that light can reach out and go as far as it can possibly go. And it gives light to everyone in the house. And in the same way, so let your light shine before men that they might see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Jesus came in humility for that purpose. Jesus came to be our king for that purpose. Jesus was eternal God come into our existence for that purpose. Jesus ushered in the age of grace for that purpose. Jesus is still crying out to Israel for that purpose. It is that purpose that the light would go forth because the light is brightest when it's darkest. Amen? That's when you really notice how much light there is. And in our world, we have a darkness condition, don't we? We have our issues, have issues in our world. The world is dark. It is sin darkened. Jesus actually gave a verdict to the disciples. He said, the light has come into the world there in John 3, but men love the darkness instead of the light because their deeds were evil, and everyone who does evil hates light and will not come into the light for the fear that his deeds would be exposed. And whoever lives by this truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what he has been done is done through God. We had a, I posted on Instagram, Bethany took a a photo, caught a rainbow over the church as the storm blew out. One of the beautiful properties of light is refraction, the colors of the rainbow. The light Jesus colors our world it, it reflects Jesus is that beautiful picture that's in the lake of your life what you're seeing is a reflection of Christ in you who is your hope of glory light also radiates it keeps us warm amen and I don't know where I would be without the warmth of Christ because sometimes, sometimes this world is awfully cold, isn't it? It's him in me that lights my soul. When things are tough, there the light of the world in us works to will and to do his good pleasure. The light of the world is illumination. It helps me to see everything that there is to see properly. It exposes darkness. It it allows me to understand the world that I live in, the life that I live. I see things the way I'm supposed to see them because the light has come. When people walk in darkness, they don't see those things. That's why we should never be angry with people who are in sin because apart from the light, we would be in the same place. It is the light that allows us to understand that those things are even wrong. And people love darkness because they haven't seen the light. Our lives are supposed to be beacons. They're supposed to be searchlights. We should be able to be seen from heaven. I was looking at a map in National Geographic and it shows the cities of the world as they glow at night. And if you look at southern Brazil, the the Sao Paulo metroplex area that now is almost joined into Rio de Janeiro, that's a distance of over 150 miles and it's solid light. Can you imagine if every Christian's light linked together wherever we are in the world, we should be able to be the light of the world, amen? If we, can, if we can turn on street lights and lamps and lights on our houses and on our cars, how is it that it's so difficult for us to turn on the light of Christ? Because that's the light the world actually needs. That's the one that the world yearns for, You see, that light began to shine with the arrival of the babe in the manger, our Emmanuel. Now, I want to do something for a moment. And I want to help you understand this in a real way. And so we are going to turn the lights off in just a second. And it's going to be pitch black in here, and I would ask that you please do not use your cell phones. That you don't turn on any light. That you put those things away for a a minute or two. So that you can recognize where Jesus came. He came into a dark world. That's where Emmanuel landed. So let's cut the lights. Let that darkness speak to you. This is what people see. You see, right now you can't tell whether the floor is dirty beneath you. Right now you can't tell if your shirt's on upside down or backwards. Right now you can't see whether the person sitting next to you is fashionably dressed or not. Right now, you do not know how much money the person has next to you because you can't tell whether they're wearing Gucci shoes or gooey shoes. (laughs) Right now, because it's dark, you can't tell anything except that it's dark. There's a little tiny bit of light. And as Emmanuel came into this world, as he entered the Christmas story in a cave, as he came into our time, the divine response of heaven, when God saw the darkness of the world, he didn't respond by allowing the world to stay in darkness. He he didn't look at Adam and Eve's sin which then infected the entire world's population. He didn't say, well, you know, I'll just get some new people. I made Adam and Eve, I I could certainly start over. He looked at the darkness and said, the solution is not me turning them over, it's us going to them. And that's what he did when Jesus came to Bethlehem. He said it's time. He had prophesied some over 400 pieces of information that exist in the Old Testament that point towards the life, the times, the birth, the death, the burial, the resurrection. The intimate moments of Jesus' life all told in advance so that we could understand God had a plan all along. God was going to send light into our world. And the initial response was mind-boggling to me. Because everyone who came in contact with the babe in the manger had the exact same response. It was worship. It was worship. That's what they did. They worshiped. Mary, before Jesus was even born, said, My soul, my soul magnifies the Lord. That word magnifies is the same as worship. My soul worships the Lord. Simeon, as he took Jesus in his arms, praised God. As we think about our response, and I want to ask you, this is where it gets personal. The great company of heavenly hosts worshipped Jesus. The magi worshipped Jesus The lowly shepherds returned to their flocks and worshiped Jesus. They worshiped the light. I'm going to have our team come forward now. And I want to ask you if you would to please stand. Because this is our opportunity to respond to the light. Jesus himself, he said, I am the light of the world and he who lives in me shall not walk in darkness. He was the one first light. But from his light, there were 12. And from those 12, there were countless thousands. And from those thousands, tens of thousands. And from those tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands. And from those hundreds of thousands, millions. And from those millions, you. That's why Jesus said, now you are the light of the world. And so as the light now comes to you, I would ask that you proudly hold it up because this is who Jesus is to us. And this is exactly how it all started 2,000 years ago. As the shepherds returned. And now, as you light the candles of the people next to you, feel free to share it even randomly, row to row. It was not uniform, uh, it didn't just start in one place and move to another place. It started and it spread very rapidly. So, as you light, once you're lit, light somebody else. That's how the gospel moved, that's what it did. That's how it happened. Turn around, light the rows behind you. Turn around and light the rows to your, to your right, to your left. Don't be shy, get up and move around and light somebody else's candle if you're on the end of a row. Uh, make sure that, that you are doing what Jesus said to do. Uh, I have come that you might have life and that life more abundant. And I want you to notice how the light's spreading out throughout the room. It's traveling from place to place, from person to person. Again, don't be bashful. Share the gospel. Turn around, light someone else's candle. If you're already lit, find someone else who doesn't have light and share it with them. This is what the gospel looks like when we do it right, folks. This is what happened. When Jesus said, I am the light of the world, he meant it. And when he transferred it to us, he meant it. He said, you now are the light of the world. That's what the Lord declares in truth to us tonight. We we can't hide our light under a bushel basket. We're supposed to be bold for him Christ is shining in our hearts and in our lives and in our homes and in our workplaces and in our church and as we reach around the world this is him this is who we are this is our savior this is what we have to offer to the world the light of the world people who walked in darkness that was me I walked in darkness and I've seen a great light and that light went on in my heart and I've now had a chance to share that light with others and that peace has spread so that now from my little candle countless others have come to know the Savior that is the plan Jesus didn't come in a manger so that he could just simply suffer and be humble. He came to bring light to our world so that we could no longer walk in that darkness. So as you celebrate Christmas, don't forget what it really means. Don't sell Christmas short some of you got your candle up high amen amen that's where jesus belongs in our lives is high and lifted up not hidden under a bushel basket he should be the first that we greet in the morning he should be the last we talk to at night and he should be the substance of everything in between that night was a silent night and so why don't we sing that together? Just our voices and the band. Silent night, holy night. Try and keep your candles lifted and high. Amen. Silent Say amen.